Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner here today. And we have a special guest. Today, we're talking with Seth Green. And Seth, before I introduce you, I want to just say welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us as well. And so let's just talk a little bit about college financial planning. Why don't we today? So Bruce, um, is there just from your perspective, how much do we hear from clients that maybe there's a big expense of planning for college that they have not fully solved yet when they come talk to us? Well, it, it, it does come up in conversation. I think this is one of the most frustrating things for families because uh, it's daunting. Um, it's daunting in, in just the amount that has to be paid for colleges um, and universities nowadays. And um, I find that uh, over my career that when something's daunting like that financially, people don't prepare for it because they don't want to admit that they uh, haven't prepared for it. And it's <laughs> going to be a self-sacrifice. And when it comes to <clears throat> actually the financing um, and the FAFSA form, that can also be um, something that's brand new for people to do. So, yeah, it does come up. It's, I think it's important to, to think about um, uh, it's one of those things, Rachel, that people just, they just don't do. Well, that's why we're talking about it today. So um, I'm really excited to have Seth Green on the show. He's been working in college planning for 22 years. So college financial aid planner, and you really specialize in solving the late stage college planning problem. So we're going to talk about that today. And that means, oh no, college is right around the corner and I have nothing set aside. So um, you're based in Williamsville, North Never New mind. York, New York. I don't know what in the world is coming out of my mouth there. And you're the founder of how to find money for college.com. So Seth, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. I'm super excited to share with your audience. Awesome. Well, first tell us, how did you get into this industry in the first place? Sure. So I was originally headed to Broadway at, at the nice. age of 18. I went to college for musical theater. I wanted to be a Broadway star. And uh, by first semester at Thanksgiving break, my father said, you got to transfer, you got to come home, you got to live at home, you got to get a job, you got to do chores, and you can't have any girls over. And <laughs> I said, that I would call my mother in tears going, I just got here. I just got to Syracuse University. It's one of the top musical theater schools in the country. I don't want to leave. And she said, your father got the tuition bill and he's freaking out. Mm. And this happened every single semester. And after a couple times in a row, I realized he was going to do it every semester. And by the time I graduated, I had decided I no longer wanted to go starve as a waiter in New York City. I wanted to help other families avoid this problem and became a college financial aid planner. That is a very compelling story. I'm glad that you had some personal experience and probably some pain and lot, some heartache yeah. in that yeah. in that story that I'm hearing behind the scenes. So, so tell us, why do people end up in this situation, in your opinion? College is too unaffordable. I have in 22 years, I have maybe, maybe, maybe seen three families out of thousands who actually had saved every single dollar they needed for college. And two of those families out of the three inherited money. Mm. So 
one out of thousands actually put away the several hundred thousand dollars that college costs. So it's too daunting an expense. It's priced too high. So parents put it off or they don't do it until it's too late, which is when we come in in the high school stage and they don't even realize how expensive it is. They don't realize how much more expensive it gets every year. They don't realize anything about how the process works. So they generally come to us freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year going, oh my God, we really need to do something about this now. And our job is not to help them save for college. I'm not going to tell them to put another dollar away in a 529 plan. Our job, because it's probably too late for that. They're not going to sock a couple hundred grand away in a year or two. Mm -hmm. So our job is to help them save on college, which means let's cut the cost. Let's have them pay less. Our average family saves $19,077 per year per child on tuition. So we're dramatically reducing the bill so they don't have to save more money. Well, that's interesting. So let's talk about how you do that. So um, do you want to jump straight into that or do you want to talk about financial aid leveraging first? Uh, let's talk about kind of college financial aid leveraging because most parents don't know what exists. College financial aid leveraging, according to Money Magazine, is the process by which these schools determine how little financial aid they can give a family and still get them to come. So if you think about it, colleges are a business. If I have a choice as a college and I have to give student A $50,000 a year in aid out of $60,000 in total cost to get them to come, but I can give $5,000 a year to student B and they'll come and cover the other 60 grand, which student do I want? All mm -hmm. things being equal, I want the student that I give less money to because I'm gonna make more money as a business. They have quotas to hit, they have algorithms to, to use to figure out what's the least amount of money they can give you and still get you to pay. And it's our job to work as the kid's sports agent, even though they may not be an athlete, it's our job to be the Jerry Maguire to get the college to show them the money. Because if you think about it, if you were an NFL team owner negotiating with a quarterback, you would want to pay that quarterback as little as possible. But that quarterback has an agent, a Jerry Maguire type guy whose job is to get you to pay more money. Mm -hmm. These students and their families have no one advocating for them. That's where we come in. That's our job. That's excellent. So um, what are the ways to pay for college and how do you help negotiate that so that they get more funding? Sure. So you can pay for college with the savings that you've got, whatever little amount you can make a dent in. You can go to a cheaper school. You can skip college altogether. You can take out loans, which is what a lot of parents do. And their kids are graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Mm -hmm. Or you can look at, hey, what are the four sources of college funding and how do we make this a whole lot less of a financial burden? How do we make it cost less? You know, a lot of people think they clip coupons at the grocery store and save money that way, but they don't realize you don't need a coupon to reduce the cost of college. Well, this is sounding good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Seth, let's talk a little bit more about um, th that concept of the colleges want, obviously want the best students for the, for the most price. And it Correct. seems like one of the places they turn is to foreign students because it seems like foreign students have a tendency to pay the full boat. But how, how do they turn and how do they make this determination in your experience of like, um, are, they, are they looking for out-of-state uh, people? Or are they looking for also for people that have other talents, whether it's in Broadway or 
And, and how do you maximize those kind of things to make the, the student look really appealing to the colleges? So you're absolutely right. You're talking about student positioning strategies to increase their chances of admission and increase the merit-based money they will get. There are two types of financial aid for college. There is merit-based money, which is based on how much the student wants your child. Is that based on academics? Is it based on talent? Is it based on athletics? Is it based on some honors program or whatever that they're in? And then there is need-based financial aid, which is based on your financial situation. And our job is to make the student look as least financially advantaged on paper as possible. We want to make it look, plead the case that they don't can't afford it, but are deserving to go. And we want to use the system against itself as legally possible to show that they deserve more need-based money. Merit is subjective. Need-based is quantifiable. There is a thousand-page book that explains a federal formula that is the expected family contribution, the magic number the government thinks you can afford to pay for college that no one can actually afford to pay for college. And there are ways in certain cases to change what that number shows so that you qualify for more free money, those scholarships and grants everybody wants because they never have to pay it back. Mm, okay. So, so how Seth, do we... I'll, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Rachel. Well, I wanted to follow up with that. So expected family contribution um, is a formula, but then my, from my experience working with um, this type of situation, the, the state schools um, are different as far as how they are applied than maybe a private school because the private school can then say, well, this is what expected, but now we're going to turn in and give you some more money from a variety of pots that we have because we want you, but the state schools don't have as much of course, they don't cost as much either. So, uh, how do you how you how do you manipulate those? Well, manipulation sounds bad. How do you- it does? My wife would be upset about that word, but yes. Okay, so there's two expected family contribution numbers. There is the one at FAFSA schools at public colleges, the state colleges you're referring to, and then there's the profile expected family contribution, the CSS profile, which goes to private schools. Those numbers are usually different. So a common misconception is that public schools are cheaper. The public school's tuition and room and board may be cheaper. However, if I've got, that's why the second most important number for college is the percentage of need met and what that package looks like. So the formula is the cost of attendance, the retail sticker price, minus expected family contribution equals your family need or the gap between what the government thinks you can afford and what the school actually costs. Now, what percentage of that gap the school will meet is hugely important. So you could look at a school like Northwestern that might be $60,000 a year versus a public school like Kent State that's $25,000 a year. You would think Kent State's a whole lot cheaper, except Northwestern will meet 100% of your financial need. So we literally have students there who literally ended up paying half the price of Kent State to go to Northwestern. The private expensive school was half the cost because they have a multi-billion dollar endowment fund they can afford to give away, whereas there are tons of state schools that meet 0% of your need. You're literally on the hook for 100% of the cost because they have no money to give you. This is fascinating. So when do you come into the conversation for school selection then? If a a parent is saying, we want to go to college, we're deciding which college to go to, go to, and we're trying to figure out which one's going to cost the most, where do you come into the conversation? 
as soon as possible. So the second they decide they watch one of our videos, they read one of our eBooks that are on Amazon every two weeks that we write another one, their school counselor. Um, we have 16,000 school counselors who send us stuff every single week. So as soon as that conversation starts happening, we're the sooner the better. So a lot of times it's junior year because they're thinking about SATs, they're starting to think about colleges. In my ideal world, it might be sophomore year because we can affect course selection in high school and then we can start helping them look at colleges before it's too late. If they're a senior and their financial aid forms were due two months ago, it's kind of over, whereas there's not much we can do going back in time. However, if we've got at least a year, if they're a junior, if they're heading into the junior year this fall, we've got plenty of time to say, okay, what does your child want to study? Do they want to go close to home, far away, big city, rural community, liberal arts? You know, we can help narrow that down and then say, calculate your expected family contribution. Can we change it at all? Maybe, maybe not. But we can certainly affect the financial situation by helping with school selection and saying, hey, I know you thought you were going to go to UMass Amherst, but, and you thought you couldn't afford Boston University. I had this conversation with a client a week ago, but Boston University is actually cheaper because they have so much more money to give you. So, so interesting. All right. So what percentage of financial aid is from those private scholarships? So this is a huge, there's $275 billion of student aid available every single year. Wow. Only 2% of that comes from private scholarships. So parents get this wrong every single day. They go on databases online, and we've got a list of them on our website and in articles, if you want to look at it, of scholarship searches, trying to find things that their kid qualifies for. I had a mom who spent two and a half weeks, hours and hours every night, helping her daughter apply for all these extra scholarships. And then I said, you're wasting your time. It's not worth it. We can get a bigger bang for our buck, getting more money from the school. No, no, no. I'm going to do it this way. Well, a month or two later, she actually got a scholarship and she was over the moon. And she said, see, I told you so. And then the award letter came in the mail. It was 500 bucks. Mm. I said, you wasted your time. Only 2% of all financial aid is a private scholarship on one of those database searches. So don't waste your time looking for breadcrumbs. Wow, this is fascinating. So how do you cut that bill and how do you position somebody for the most need with the right school to get the price, something that's affordable for families? Sure. So we talked about school selection. We got to go to a school that has money. We got to go to a school where the percentage of need met is high. And then the breakdown, because that percentage of need met is two categories. Some of it is scholarships and grants, the free money we all want. Some of it is self-help aid, which is loans and work study, which isn't free money. So there might be a school that says we meet 100% of your need, but 80% of it is loans. So they're not really meeting anything. So mm. we not only have to know what is the percentage of need met, but what is that breakdown? Because that makes a huge difference. And then we've got to change the EFC if possible. So if they have financial assets, can we move that money to something that doesn't count on your expected family contribution? So it effectively mm. disappears and no longer exists according to the schools for financial aid. Is there... Do we, you know, we met with a family a couple of weeks ago that was in the enviable situation of having an $800,000 house that was completely paid off, which was amazing that they were able to do that. However, the private schools look at that number and go, ooh, you have $800,000 of home equity. Mm -hmm. Why are you asking us for money? 
So are there ways, are there strategies to make assets move and not count so that the family looks like they are poorer on paper and thus qualifies for more need? Um, The tax code and the financial aid formula both written for the biggest room to maneuver is if you're a business owner, if you're self-employed in some way, shape or form. Can we restructure the way you receive income? Can we restructure when you receive income? Can we change those numbers? So again, it looks like you make less and you qualify for more free financial aid. You know, it's really interesting. And this laps over a little bit into the work that we do, but life insurance does not show up on that application on the FAFSA. And now, even if the FAFSA is only for a public college, uh, how does that work in your world in terms of moving money to something that doesn't count? So they've got to do it in enough time. If they're filling out the FAFSA in two weeks, moving it now isn't going to matter because it shows up on their last hypothetical tax return and Mm -hmm. it shows up on their asset statement. So that's why you've got to give us at least a year and maybe two to plan for that. Life insurance properly structured as you guys teach Mm -hmm. is one of the, you know, don't go buy a term policy for the, for a huge death benefit. That's not going to help you. Right. Not at all. You have to follow the strategy that Rachel and Bruce at the money advantage teach you to properly structure that life insurance policy so that not only does it disappear for financial aid, but you could conceivably get access to that money on a tax advantage basis. I know you teach about, I won't give away your secret sauce either, (laughs) but there are ways to be able to access the money, but not have it count. Yes, that's excellent. Good. So it sounds really comprehensive in the way that you were helping somebody to really not only find money to pay for college, but you're also reducing the overall bill. So you're winning in two places at the same time. So what would you say are two of the most important dates for financial aid? Sure. So the first day you can submit your FAFSA and CSS profile financial aid form is October 1st of your child's senior year. So financial aid, most people don't realize is first come first serve. So if you apply at 9am on October 1st, and I apply two weeks later, and everything else is identical, you should get more financial aid than me because you were first. So it's literally, you don't see it, but it's like trying to buy VIP seats at a Justin Timberlake concert. You watch the seats disappear before your very eyes. You can't see the money disappear, but it's disappearing. So literally, um, it's one of our busy, that, that, that time is the busiest time of the year because we are submitting hundreds of FAFSAs at the same time because all things being equal, I want to be first for every family. So we've got a shot at more money. The second most important date would be May 1st, uh, which is decision day. It's a day you are supposed to have told the college you're coming and placed your deposit by. But parents get caught up in missing this deadline because they haven't heard from every school yet. Sometimes they don't have aid packages. Sometimes they don't know about the results of an appeal. Sometimes they're still waitlisted. And they say, how can I decide? Well, do you want your kid to be college homeless? So put a deposit down somewhere at their second choice so that they at least have somewhere to go if they never get off the wait list or if they get rejected. We've had, I've seen parents who didn't do that, didn't follow our advice. They were holding out for the dream school and then didn't get in. And they're like, now where's he supposed to go? And I said, that's why you have to put a deposit down. Worst case scenario, they get into their dream school and you walk away from the $500 deposit at school number two. But Mm -hmm. it's worth it for the security of knowing, hey, if the University of Chicago or Harvard doesn't let them off the wait list, they're still going somewhere. It's like buying a call option. Yes, that's exactly what it is. (laughs) Yeah. uh, 
Seth, how do you, um, I mean, you have the numbers that you can show people all the time, but how do you have, how do you, or maybe you don't even bring the subject, hey, you know, the thing that makes the most sense for you is your college for a year or two uh, financially and then transfer, or you go to an, a, a lesser uh, school tuition wise and then transfer, and we can work on getting you aid, you know, down the road. Do you have those kind of conversations? Because I try to have those conversations with clients and they're not very productive because they're all they're always like, oh yeah, but Missy wants to really go to Vanderbilt, you know, and so we're gonna do everything we can, um, even though she's getting a half a scholarship to Northwestern or something like that. Um, do you have those types of conversations? Every single day. So yeah, we're dealing with the same thing. I literally had that conversation 48 hours ago where we were discussing maybe they need to go to community college for two years. In this case, it wasn't a money issue. It was getting their grades up mm. because the student had like a two and a half, 2.5 GPA in a thousand SAT score. And that's not going to get him any of the colleges he actually wants to go to. So that conversation that I then get to have separately with the student, because sometimes they will tell us stuff they won't tell mom and dad. So we have a separate conversation with the kid where, you know, if mom and dad tell them 27 times, they won't listen. But if an objective professional third party says, this is the reality or situation, you're not getting in, you didn't get in anywhere you wanted because of this situation, you need to go make up for the fact that you were goofing off in high school and not studying and not taking it seriously and go someplace local and get stuck living at home for two years, get your grades up. And then we can reapply, and that gives us more time on the financial aid side to get you qualified for more money. You know, just a fascinating thought of planning for your future and leaving as many doors open as possible. I mean, I have young children, so I mine is nine years old, almost 10, and I have one that's turning two tomorrow. And just thinking about their future, I mean, you don't want to plan everything out for them and make them get the good grades and, and they have to take ownership of that, but then it will be in the future that at some point they're going to make a decision and say, you know, I want to be a doctor and I want to go to this college and they're going to have to look back and say, well, does my life line up to qualifying for that? So it's their decision. It's just really fascinating how you brought that to the table. It's their decision for how they're going to plan their life trajectory and their goals and their hero's journey, their life story. And it's also the funding part that usually falls back on mom and dad and trying to navigate that and make sure that you're making the best parenting decisions to, to guide them and, and create the most options. And holding that open space as well to say, maybe college is not the right thing for you. I mean, there's hundreds and thousands of people who've gone the entrepreneurship route and become wildly successful that did not step foot in college. And so it's it's saying, hey, let's make sure that we create this best opportunity for you, no matter what you decide in the future. How do you help people do that? Sure. So you, it's every kid is different. So you might have someone who... I've seen kids who 15, 16 knew exactly what they wanted to do forever and did it. And then I've seen kids who thought they knew what they wanted to do. Uh, We have uh, a young lady who's on her third college in three years Mm -hmm. and she's transferred locally three times. Mm -hmm. And now she thinks this is the school and this is the degree she wants. But mom and dad, we had to have the conversation where they said, sorry that you've now racked up the money for those other schools that isn't what you say you want now, mom and dad can't afford 
extra years. Mom and dad can't afford the higher price that the third school is going to cost. You're now, that part of it is on your own. So every kid is different and they change, right? We change. Mm -hmm. How many people went to college and aren't using 20 years later? They're in a field totally different from their degree. We change jobs on average every seven years, I think the stat is now. So there's no hard and fast rule because human beings are flexible, right? We change our minds. So we've got to do, we've got to figure out as best we can, where are we now, plan for it, and then see what happens. I, I have a kid headed to NYU right now who wants to go to law school after that to be a art lawyer. I didn't know that was a thing. And I said, <laughs> I well, <did> not either. <laughs> whatever law firm hires you, if that, uh, when you graduate, they're probably going to care way more where you went to law school than where you went to undergrad. If you're getting a generic liberal arts education as your undergrad or art history, do we have to go to NYU at $70,000 a year? Could you go someplace half the cost, get the same degree and spend more money on a prestigious law school? But he said, no, 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 I have to go to NYU. And I couldn't change his mind. His parents couldn't change his mind. And now we're fighting an appeal with NYU to get him more money. But they don't always listen, right? You guys know your clients don't always listen. It can be very frustrating, but we do our best. Right. The other thing uh, uh, I think it's appropriate for this podcast is for, for our listeners, you really need to teach your, your children about money at an early age. Mm -hmm. Because that is if they, if they actually understand how money works, the compounding effects of, of student loan interest, and how damaging it is to your, to your cash flow needs later on, no matter what type of then they may make a more intelligent decision. The other thing is parents, I, I, do, you know, I, I just believe they have to put their foot down and, and not give them everything they, they need, but it seems like that's not happening nowadays. So Yeah, thankfully, it's, it's funny. I've, I've had this issue with my four, my kids are 14, 12, and 8 as we're recording this today, and my 14-year-old is now obsessed with trading cryptocurrency. Really? My wife is like, is this even legal? Should I be giving him my credit card, my debit card or my whatever to verify this account? And the, I said, absolutely, because he's learning, he's volunteering to learn financial literacy, right? He mm -hmm. woke he came into our bedroom at like 11 o'clock last night. It was like, dad, what's a stop order? And I'm like, and, and my <laughs> wife was annoyed. She's like, I'm falling asleep here. And I said, wait, but this is a really important question. And I love that when I have a two hour drive to soccer with him, he is now asking me, you know, what is technical analysis and what is a candlestick pattern and all of these things. I'm like, your entire life will change because you started learning this stuff at 14. Right. And Absolutely. he's choosing it, which is so yeah, cool. It wasn't me saying you got to learn daddy's business. Mm -hmm. It was him going, like he's watching hours and hours of YouTube videos on investing and analysis. And I said, I like said a thank you prayer. To, I'm like, God, thank you for giving him this interest. You know, the friends who started him talking about it weren't the best influence on him in our opinion. However, the fact that they brought up crypto and now he's obsessed, I'm like, your whole life just changed and you have no idea. Absolutely. Well, that is so fascinating. And I think, you know, there's, part of parenting that's luck and there's part of it that's a lot of intentionality and it's that balancing act every single day, but praying that your children find something that they're super passionate about and that it's the right kind of a thing and that they can throw their life into that and be really disciplined. So anyway, this has been a fabulous show. Thank you so much, Seth, for coming on today. Where can our listeners find you? I know we mentioned at the top of the show that you are the founder of howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about how to reach you? 
Uh, how to find money for college.com is the best place. If they go there, they will register. They will get access to um, about an hour long training session I did for a high school school counselor and about 40 families literally recorded like a week or two ago, teaching them the absolute latest law changes to financial aid. There've been some big changes. There was a cons appropriations act in December. There was Biden has signed a whole bunch of laws in the last couple months teaching them what that means for financial aid because there have been some huge changes. So go register, watch that for free. And then there's an offer for your listeners to save $197 where we will calculate their expected family contribution and run an analysis of their number one school choice, which we normally charge $197 for. They will get for free if they go to howtofindmoneyforcollege.com and type in that they came from the Money Advantage show. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So you've heard it today. Go to howtofindmoneyforcollege.com, get that free training get the free analysis as well. Analysis. And you can do that by making sure that you let them know that you came from the Money Advantage podcast. Thank you so much, Seth, for joining us today. And as always, if you're listening and you've been a longtime listener, remember that as you are looking at your financial life, there are multiple layers to this. There's not one piece that fixes everything. First, you keep as much of your money as possible. Then you want to protect that money. And then you want to make sure your money is making more money. So make sure you have a solid foundation and a solid money habit that's going to lead you to helping you build time and money freedom faster. Now in closing, remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, Click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. Or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.